Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. So many people have been conditioned to believe that they're not creative. Creativity is innate to all humans. Mm. If you solve a problem, that's creativity at work. If you put two things together and come up with something new, that's creativity at work. If you do something in a way that hasn't been done before, that is creativity at work. And it doesn't have anything to do with drawing something realistically. And yet somehow we have been led to believe that that's creativity. It's drawing in a photographically realistic manner, or it's singing beautifully or playing an instrument in a beautiful way. Those are really wonderful things. And those can be beautiful things to aspire to, but that's not the same thing as creativity. Creativity is innate to all humans. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast all the way from Mountain View, California, the home of Google, Facebook, um, and all those other um, mega internet companies. In the USA, of course, Melissa Dinwiddie. Melissa is a communication and connection expert. She's the founder of Creative Sandbox Solutions, and she hosts a podcast of with a similar name, Creative Sandbox Way. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Melissa. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thank you, Jürgen. It's great to be here. Though I, the Creative Sandbox Way podcast is sad to say on the shelf right now. It's still available to listen to, but I haven't put any new episodes out for quite a long All time. All right. Okay. I will have to catch up on some of the old ones and hopefully we'll see you in the podcasting space with your own podcast again soon. That would be fun. I do love podcasting. Yeah. Now, you also love helping tech teams connect and communicate better. So, um, of course, there's a, a what's it called, a, a stereotype of the traditional tech geeks that they um, don't speak a normal language. And so you help them <laughs> overcome that, co connect and communicate better. Um, and help them match their impact to the knowledge and smarts that they actually have. So, um, and part of that is all having fun as well. And, and you use fun as an acronym in your structure and process, as well as 
as the traditional meaning of the word. So I'm really looking forward to digging into all of that with you today, Melissa. Before we do that, what's the impact you're making in the world today? I love that question, I have to say, Jorgen. So the impact that I'm making in the world, well, in my business, the impact that I'm making is really helping teams and organizations increase their productivity and really through the way that people communicate and connect. And in addition, I help people unleash their creativity. And that's really my passion. That's I came from being an artist, not from the corporate world. <laughs> and uh, I wrote a book back in 2016 called The Creative Sandbox Way. It's sitting behind me on this shelf here. And it's based around 10 guideposts that helped me get creatively unstuck. And uh, I hear from people all the time how my work, my book, the posts that I make on social media, how how I'm helping them reconnect to their creativity and step into really a, a bigger vision for themselves. So honestly, that is... Um, the most satisfying thing that I do hmm. is helping people reconnect to their creativity. I love it. And I like how you say reconnect to their creativity because I think um, you do point out in the book, and I know we, we had a conversation about this um, earlier in the sense that there's people that know they're creative and embrace the fact that they're creative and, and they face times when they're blocked. So, you know, we've all heard of writer's block and there's probably an analogous condition, if you want to call it that, for other creatives, artists or sculptors or photographers. I know I experience it from time to time in photography. Uh, there's also people that say, I don't have a creative bone in my body. And I know I've been guilty of saying this from the point of view of my stick figures don't even look like stick figures. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't draw for my, if my life depended on it. And, um, and yet it's not, creativity really isn't something that um, we're either born with or not born with, is it? Yeah. So th that's the thing that it, it, it really drives me crazy how, so many people have been conditioned to believe that they're not creative because creativity is innate to all humans. Mm. It's, you know, if you solve a problem, that's creativity at work. If you put two things together and come up with something new out of that, that's creativity at work. If you do something in a, in a way that hasn't been done before, that is creativity at work. And it doesn't have anything to do with drawing, you know, something realistically. And yet somehow we have been led to believe that that's creativity. It's drawing in a photographically realistic manner, or it's singing beautifully or playing an instrument in a beautiful way. And you know those are really wonderful things, and those can be beautiful things to aspire to, but that's not the same thing as creativity. And and yet we've we've and I'm I'm the same. I just like you had many times in my life where I truly fully believed I am not a creative person. Mm -hmm. I spent a good ten or fifteen years believing that, 
and was miserable as a result because the reality is creativity defines who I am. And yet I felt so removed from it. And I believe it's because of the way we are, you know, primarily because of the way we're schooled. You know, we we go to school and we are trained to please a single authority figure, the teacher, which is the opposite of creativity. Creativity is exploring and making messes and trying things. It's not following what you know everybody else before you did and doing it exactly the same way, cookie cutter style, mm. in order to get the A which is what I, you know, learned how to do very well in order to get the A. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love the love the story you tell about um, your crayon um, drawing experience, your color in, oh. inexperience, <laughs> and, and I'll leave people to read your book on that, but basically it's, uh, you did some coloring in and was told that's not the way to do it, which comes back to your point about um, it's schooled out of us. and. As I was reading that, I was thinking, so many years back, and I'm dating myself a little bit here, but many years back, um, there was uh, a big government investment here in the purchase of Jackson Pollock's um, Blue Poles is the name of the artwork. It's a big, big canvas oil painting. It hangs in the National Gallery here. It's got pride of place in the National Gallery. It's quite famous. The investment at the time was several million dollars and there was a big uh, outcry over it because this thing is just like... A Jackson Pollock. It's a Jackson Pollock, yeah. (laughs) It's got nothing to do with a photographic image or anything. It's, it's, yeah, Um, and at the time there were people that said, uh, you know, I could have just gotten myself completely drunk and lined up a a set of paint cans and just went like this and I would have done better. Um, So that's kind of the creativity that's been taught us at school. And yet here's this painting that despite that um, controversy at the time of several million dollars of taxpayer money spent, I think that painting is worth hundreds of millions of dollars today it was you know if you consider it as an investment whether that was the intent or not but it turns out to have been a really smart investment but most importantly from the artistic point of view this has this painting has pride of place in the national gallery mm. of australia um, so it's one it's the major it's the showpiece piece of um, work yeah, yeah, that's a great story. I love mm. it. So I think, you know, if um, somebody had have said, no, that's not the way you paint, um, we would have been deprived of that. And yet... Well, and Jackson Pollock probably did deal with mm. that. I, I haven't read his, you know, biography, but, you know, he, I'm sure that he dealt with a lot of people saying that's not the yeah. way to paint. You should be painting landscapes. You should be painting portraits. Mm. You should be painting still lives. What are you doing splashing (laughs) paint around like that? That's ridiculous. And yet he had the strength of his convictions and the strength of his creative need to explore to keep doing that in any case. And that's, that's really creativity at its best because 
you know, I was leading a creativity retreat. I lead creativity retreats every year. And one of the participants who's come to every single annual retreat since the first one in 2013 was saying she doesn't like to call herself an artist, even though I would call her an artist. Mm. She has uh, created in a variety of different art forms at, at my retreats, mosaics and painting and um, different, different media, painting in different media, alcohol inks and watercolor and drawing. And, but she does not consider herself an artist. She does not like that term, I think, because it's so fraught. Instead, she prefers to call herself an explorer. Mm. And I actually really like that term, although I have embraced the term artist for myself, even though I'm no longer a, a professional artist, I don't make my living from my art anymore. I don't sell artwork on commission, which is what I used to do many years ago. But I love that term explorer because that's, so much what creativity is about Hmm. it's about exploring it's about saying what would happen if let's try this it's exploration and that's you know i can feel my inner four-year-old getting excited that's the place that we that i most love to be in what would happen if let's try this And when so much I think of what happens in school is that the system of school and the teachers and the requirements to follow the plan and get the A stifles that. Mm. And we're not allowed to do that exploring and that making messes and what I refer to as playing in the creative sandbox. You know, if you think about a sandbox, it's ephemeral right? Nobody's going to go into a sandbox. No kid is going to go into a sandbox and create something and then, you know, have it live in perpetuity. You know, it's not going to be there forever. It's going to be part of the fun is going to be to destroy (laughs) it, right? So that's the space that we want to be in for optimal creativity If we want to, I mean, for innovation, we want to have that creative sandbox playtime where it's not about making money. It's not about impressing anybody. It's not about getting a good grade. It's not about getting, you know, if you're an artist, it's not about getting your piece in a show or in a museum. It is purely about exploring and making messes and seeing what's going to happen. It's about following your curiosity. And when you can really carve out time that's 100% dedicated to that exploration and let go of the outcome, you don't know what's going to happen. And the whole point is to see what's going to happen. That's when you're going to have amazing innovation. That's where you're going to have amazing creativity and you're going to discover things that you, you don't know what they're going to be, but something amazing is going to come out of that. The key, and here's the irony, of course, the key is something amazing is going to come out of that, but you have to let go of expecting yeah. something amazing. I was just going to say the, the letting go of expectations or of um, 
here's what the outcome needs to be for me to be successful. So letting go of that definition of success is actually increases the chance of something amazing coming out of that, right? It's the, it's exactly. counterintuitive. Yeah. yeah, yes, it is. And it's um, that, that might be one of the most challenging parts for me is that letting go. I know uh, part of the reason that I got so creatively stuck for so long was because I had such heavy, heavy expectations that everything I made had to be amazing, had to bring in money, had to, you know, it it just, that's so paralyzing. I remember getting when I, back when I was a professional artist, there were about 15, 10 or 15 years when the only art I made was for clients. And I was able to create the art for clients, but I was not able to make anything for myself which left me so miserable because the whole reason that I got into making art for clients in the first place was because I loved creating, (laughs) but I just, I I was so just incredibly, incredibly miserable. (laughs) It was very sad. Here I was, you know, living the dream of being a professional artist (laughs) and living the most uncreative life you can imagine because I couldn't create anything for myself. And I remember getting calls for entry for art competitions and being, you know, wanting so much to create something to submit for the art competitions and just not being, just being completely paralyzed because there was this expectation Mm -hmm. that I had to make something amazing. (laughs) And if I had just let myself make something crappy, just something, then you know, it would have been fine. I could have just made something yeah. and let it be crappy, but I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And it wasn't until years later, it was uh, 2010 when I finally came back to making art for myself. And what finally allowed me to do that was letting go of those expectations. And, you know, Jürgen, I am nothing if not a rule follower. So I made a handful of little rules <laughs> for myself which ultimately a few years later sort of grew into what became the 10 guideposts for my mm-hmm. book, The Creative Sandbox Way. But it, they started out as just a handful of little rules. One of them was there is no wrong. Mm-hmm. And one of them was it started off as something like, you know, when you get to the place where you know the piece is not done yet, but it needs, you know, it needs something, but you're afraid to add to it because you, you're afraid you're going to ruin it go ahead and ruin it. And ultimately, uh, that became, um, take the riskier path. Mm. I learned how to condense it down to a shorter, (laughs) a shorter rule. Um, and one rule was think process, not product. I really wanted to be in that space of having fun Mm. and focusing on the joy of exploring and creating rather than thinking about the outcome yeah. and focusing on yeah, I love, what I was I making. I love that in particular, that think process, not product. And and the idea, I mean, we're talking about letting go of expectations, but I think it's sort of letting go of perfectionism as well, isn't it? The expectation yeah. of this has got to be perfect. And I know from photography, every now and then um, I set myself 
a target, um, perhaps. So recently I did one, I did a, a photo shoot. It was actually in California near where you are. Um, up, I'm a fan of lighthouses. So we were staying um, near Mendocino and there's the, if you know it, the um, Point Cabrillo Lighthouse Station. Charming little lighthouse, beautifully restored. And we were there and I took lots of photos and had a lot of fun. And in the late afternoon, I said to my wife, I'm going to go back down to that lighthouse with my camera gear because where we live here in Australia on the East Coast, we don't get a sunset over the ocean. I said, I'm going to get a sunset, a gorgeous, because it was a gorgeous day, I'm going to get a gorgeous sunset over the ocean with that lighthouse in the foreground. So I had this image in my mind of these photos and I thought, I'm going to (laughs) capture the perfect photo here. Um, I actually did get some sensational photos, but I, it was more about I, I just so much enjoyed that experience of being there at that time of day with very few people in the park. And, and yeah, I reflect back on that because there's times where I set out to take a specific photo, like a capture a specific um, sunset, that, and it's time-bound as well with the photography. And usually it turns out to be, rubbish because I'm so focused on on the outcome (laughs) and yet every time I realize I've gone out just to take photos and I've lost myself for a whole day and had had an absolute ball um, and really that's what it's about. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. Yeah I remember when I I remember one day in particular when I was coming back to making art purely for myself not for clients and I had bought some stretched canvases, which was not a, a, a substrate that I was used to working on. I was used to working on paper. And I pulled out a canvas. They, they, they had been sitting in the packaging for months. They finally unwrapped the packaging, pulled out a canvas. It was about, I don't think, eight by eight or something. Put it on my drafting table, pulled out a bunch of inks and things. And, and I was mucking around and I I was having so much fun I felt like I, I, just, I can remember the sensation so clearly I felt like I was floating off the floor <laughs> about like three inches off the floor because I was just buzzing and the canvas by the time I was done I spent I don't know maybe 45 minutes or an hour or something by the time I was done I was it looked horrible I mean it just looked like something the cat threw up or something. I mean, it just was so God awful. I ended up painting over it and over, you know, the next several days or weeks or something. And it eventually turned into something I really liked. But after that one session, it was just so ugly, but I had so much Hmm. fun. And I just focused on that sensation, that experience and held on to that and didn't allow the fact that, the canvas itself was so horribly ugly. I didn't allow that to take away from the experience. And it was, it, that has really stuck with me. And I've held on to that so that when I've had practices of, you know, daily creative practice, it, 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 it's been so helpful to remember that, you know, I might have three days in a row where whatever comes out of my practice, I don't like it, but it doesn't matter because what, what matters is that process. Mm. 
that's what feeds me. And, and the other wonderful thing about when I'm in a, a daily practice, I'm going to be making something else tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like the that's another rule, isn't it? Think tiny and daily. So I like the the idea of consistency is such a powerful one. And also I know I've set myself targets from time to time where I, I take a photo every day. Um, and it's and of course I end up taking hundreds of photos usually, but I pick 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 right. a photo and, and <laughs> present it and, and post it on Instagram or something. And I find when I do that, there's a couple of things that happen. I start to get a lot more observant because I'm out looking because I'm, I'm not like it's easy to travel somewhere new and, and exciting and, and go and take a whole lot of fabulous photos. I, that's easy for me. Um, it's a lot harder in your everyday environment where you don't travel anywhere else. It's mm. to see something that you can present in an interesting way from a photography standpoint. So that really challenges me and gets me being much more observant about the everyday and the mundane around me. And I, and I find that um, quite fascinating. And the other thing, of course, it does is, like you say, tomorrow I get another opportunity. So if I don't like how it turned out today, I can actually go and go to the same place and try it again tomorrow. And the light might be different or I the weather might that. be different. And so I get a different view anyway. I love that. There's there's something really profound about that daily practice that it it, beca- it really becomes like a spiritual kind of a thing because it forces you to be so observant and so mindful. Mm. And I, for me, I've had periods where I've had long stretches of time where I've had a daily called it a doodle practice (laughs) where I spent 10 or 15 minutes a day just with a black marker and a sketch, you know, a sketchbook and making abstract. I called them doodles as a way to kind of send the gremlins out of the room. So really they were spontaneous improvisational abstract artworks, but when I called them doodles, it made them uh, less precious, Hmm. right? And uh, now I'm now I'm reclaiming them as spontaneous improvisational abstract artworks. <laughs> uh, but in any case, when I've had this this daily practice, it's been this profound experience of noticing as the the those gremlin voices appear in my head, and which they inevitably do. Oh, this is a piece of crap. And then just not letting it stop Hmm. me, just continuing and noticing like, oh, there's that voice. But I'm a bodyguard for my inner (laughs) four-year-old. So I let my inner four-year-old inhabit the tip of the pen and I send my, that gremlin off to get a pedicure while I (laughs) protect my inner four-year-old so she can keep going and exploring and doing whatever she wants to do. And at first it's like really, really weird and ugly. And I just let that inner world keep going. And more often than not, it turns into something really quite interesting and quite beautiful, even though it starts off as really bizarre and ugly. Sometimes it stays bizarre and ugly. And often it turns into something really intriguing and beautiful. And But there's this dance with that gremlin voice in my head. And every day it's a little bit different, just the way 
that if you've ever done breath meditation or if you've ever done yoga, you're a different person every time you step on the mat or sit down on your meditation cushion. Your breathing's a little bit different and you start to notice these mm. things. And so that doodle practice has become a spiritual practice in a very surprising way that I did not expect. Because whenever you do something every single day, it becomes a mindfulness practice. Mm. So that's been very, very interesting and very rich. Yeah, yeah I, I so love the, you know, being a bodyguard for your inner four-year-old, <laughs> protecting <laughs> it from that inner voice. That... All right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the communication for tech people or for anybody really improving their communication yeah. skills and so on, how, how do we apply some of these things we've been talking about in that arena? Well, as it happens, I do have some activities that I use that involve doodling, among many other play-based methods. So everything that I do with the teams that I work with is play-based in some way. And I use what I refer to as my FUN method. It's an acronym. So F stands for find the flow. And that's the part where I get people involved in some kind of play activity, some kind of activity where they're really immersed and it might seem to them like they're just playing a game. Hmm. Maybe they're making some kind of a, a, a stick figure doodle of um, what they, uh, how they see themselves in five years using their strengths, or maybe they're acting out uh, a scenario in which one partner is from the present time and another partner is, is, a, is a time traveler from 500 years from now. And, uh, or maybe they're doing some other kind of game. And uh, sometimes they're you know, laughing because they're having so much fun. So that's the F, find the flow. Then the U is, that stands for unlock the meaning. And that's the part where we come back together and we have a debrief discussion. And that's where they start to connect the dots as to how that activity that they just did, the game, whatever it was, what that has to do with whatever we're talking about, whether it's leadership or communication or whatever the theme of the particular session that we're engaged in is and light bulbs start going off over people's heads and insights start firing. And this is really significant because they own the learning. So this is not death by PowerPoint. This is, they are making the connections through the fact that they had this experience where they were having some kind of an emotion, some kind of a, some kind of an activity and now they're making the connections themselves. So they really own the learning. I'm not telling them what they're learning. They're owning it themselves, which makes it profoundly sticky and very memorable. And the N stands for name the change or now what? <laughs> and so when I design my programs, 
we all know, or hopefully we know that transformation takes time. If I come in and do an offsite with your company over the course of a single day, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a bonding experience, but the chances of that having lasting impact and lasting results are fairly slim. For lasting results, you need to have a span of time for people to really integrate and uh, really implement what they've learned. So I design sessions that I design programs with sessions that happen over a span of time. So the N name the change, what that is at the end of whatever session we've just had, people identify what their biggest takeaway is, and then they design an experiment that they're going to run over the course of time between now and when we meet again. So they get to practice and integrate and implement. And then when we meet again, they report back on how that experiment went. It's not about getting an A, it's about noticing. It's about awareness. And what's really beautiful about this, or one of the things that's beautiful, is that as people share how their experiments went, light bulbs start going off over other people's heads. Oh yeah, I had that experience Hmm. too. And so the learning really deepens. And as the sessions um, layer over time, we're building muscles. And just like going to a gym, you can't expect to walk into a gym once and emerge from that as an Olympic athlete. (laughs) (laughs) The best, the companies that have the best results work with me over the long term. So companies that have the best results work with me for a year or three years or five years, and they see significant, dramatic improvement in their communication and their productivity. So there you go. There's my fun method. And uh, I'd be happy to share more about, you know, specific activities if you'd like to get some examples of the kinds of things that I do. Yeah, it's fascinating. And um, I like the, in particular, the, the idea of going away and treating the next step, the action that kind of is the to-do out of this workshop. And usually people say, well, at the end of the workshop, you know, it's it's not much use if you don't go and implement something as a result of what you've learned today. So the idea of doing that as an experiment and then reporting back the next time, I really love that because it, it forces the person doing it. So I, I imagine I go away with an experiment that I'm going to do, it doesn't just, like I I would be accountable to myself and I would go and do what I said I'd do, but it also forces me to be really aware and be really conscious of what's the what's happening when I do that experiment. What's the impact on me? Exactly. What's the impact on other people if it's a communication thing? And I think there's a huge amount of learning just in that. Exactly. And, you know, so much of what I'm teaching when I'm leading these sessions, so much of it starts with awareness. And so the experiments are an opportunity for people to really practice that awareness. And, you know, it's it starts with the awareness and the practicing of the, the tools and the skills that they've learned 
first you have to have that awareness before you can really integrate the new skills and the tools. Eventually, hopefully, some of these things will start to become second nature and they won't have to think about them. But that takes a mm -hmm. while, you know. So and also it really in situations in the workplace, um, it it's certainly not going to be automatic that, okay, we've had this play and we've got together and built something together in a team during this play session um, here in a workspace, we're having conflict over what we're building in the professional sense. What did we learn from there that we can apply here? You're not going to be doing that in, under the pressure of time and all the other things that go on in real life. Right. Mm. Right. Yes. So in the, the context of the workshop, they're developing a common language and really, you know, starting to to build these, you know, to, to identify these new sort of mm. muscles that we're building. And then in the time in between the workshop sessions, they're starting to work the muscles and develop the awareness. And because they're in these sessions together as teams and as cross-functional teams, they can then in between the sessions start to, you know, have the conversations mm. amongst themselves so that when they come back, they can, you know, practice again and reintegrate and learn some new, new tools. So it, it really builds over time. It's very, very mm. effective. Yeah. And I, I also noticed um, uh, one of the things you do play with, which um, I, I never got to experience in some, I, did get to experience a couple of these play-based things where we got to build stuff with cardboard or paper and we had to cut out paper, but I never got to play with Lego, which is, I, I missed out. <laughs> so tell us about the, the Lego. Um, is that part of the program or is that something different or is that just one of the, one of the games? Yeah, so Lego, Lego uh, the way that I incorporate Lego with uh, teams that I work with is a methodology called Lego Serious Play. And it was developed by a couple of uh, researchers and I'm blanking on their names right now, but um, I could be happy to look it up for you later. It, it is a fabulous methodology that I love to use. Uh, it's great for brainstorming. It's great for problem solving. It's also great for um, team building, um, anytime you have any kind of sticky problems, Lego series play is fantastic. So the way Lego series play works, it has, uh, five steps. Well, depending on who you talk to four or five steps. So basically the facilitator presents a problem or a question and everyone in the room builds their answer to the problem or a challenge or question using Lego bricks. Mm -hmm. And then they've got this model, this Lego model that they've built and they share their story pointing to their model. They share their story that they have just built. They point out, Oh, this is, I used a pink brick because pink um, reminds me of my mother and that's why I used a pink brick. And this model represents, the model is a metaphor. And as they're sharing their, first of all, as they build the model, 
that is firing Mm. off insights in their brain. And then as they share the story of their model, new insights start to to fire off as well that they may not have realized as they were building because it was all unconscious or subconscious. So new things are starting to fire and in their brain. And as they're sharing the story of their model, insights are firing for the listeners, the witnesses of the story. It is an incredibly powerful methodology. And one of the things that I really love about it is, first of all, it really levels the playing field. You can have the CEO of the company and uh, lower level people of the company all sitting around the same table. And they're all they're all able to share ideas at the same level. That's one thing that's great. Another thing that's great about it is uh, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it works brilliantly. It's especially great to, for getting introverts and people who are less uh, able to access their, their verbal processing, you know, mm-hmm. quickly access verbal processing. It's very helpful to get them to be able to, to, um, to speak and share because there's something about getting people to build with their hands first gets them thinking with their hands so that by the time they get to sharing their story, they're able to get, mm. get the words out. It's incredibly effective. And uh, the only people that I have worked with who have not um, liked Lego Serious Play are people who were not familiar with the Lego bricks and had a hard time with the Lego bricks themselves. So everybody else absolutely loves this methodology. (laughs) I was just going to ask you that. Is there anybody that doesn't know Lego bricks? Uh, there, there, there are yeah. some people. So there are um, in the U.S. There are women of a certain age who didn't have children, who never ex- were never exposed to Lego bricks as children themselves, and then didn't have children, so were not mm. exposed to Lego bricks as parents. And uh, and then I was just speaking with um, a manager at Target. Target Global um, Global Tech, who was talking about their engineers from India who might not have been exposed to mm. Lego bricks okay. because they wouldn't have had yeah. them in India. So there are some cohorts mm. who didn't have that yeah, exposure. Yeah. Well, there's, a, yeah. there's an opportunity for Lego. To, <laughs> so, some markets yeah. that they yeah. haven't been uh, paying attention to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is uh, absolutely fascinating, Melissa. I could go on talking ages about all things creativity. We kind of went um, went down the rabbit hole of creativity first before we came back to <laughs> communication and leadership. But I think we've uh, we've come the full circle really well here. And um, as you said at the beginning, before we started recording, um, we could do some improv. But I think we did that a little bit here. Oh. The whole thing yeah, has been yeah. improv. So. so the next the next bit's <laughs> sort of not improv, although your answers probably will be. <laughs> it's uh, the buzz. I think it's a good time to move on to that now, the buzz, our innovation around the same five questions I ask of every guest, so I'm not improvising now. Um, and the idea, of course, is that you'll give our listener something, some insights, some further insights that will inspire them to go and do something awesome today as a result. So you all set? Great. Let's yeah. do it. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? 
Well, <laughs> I would say tap into your inner four-year-old, you know, be, play more. Mm. Boom. <laughs> let yourself play more and let yourself make crap. Mm. You know, we need the crap to fertilize the good stuff. <laughs> so just what we were talking about earlier about lowering your expectations, let yourself make a bunch of crap and let yourself play. Carve out some creative sandbox time. Go let yourself explore, make messes. And that's what I would mm. say. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's a saying, and I can't remember who first said this, and I'm not sure I've got, I, I even have the attribution um, but I just so love it, which is you don't need to be great to start, but you do need to start to be great. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. My my creative sandbox way guidepost number five is just yeah. start. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Now, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? <clears throat> uh, really um, playing and listening. And um I will share, I have an activity that I learned from a fellow improv person named Gary Hirsch that I absolutely love. I love using it with clients and I love using it for my own innovation idea generation. So this is a, a, a great activity to do with groups and you can also do it on your own. So if you do, when I do it with groups, I ask everybody to write down on a piece of paper or a three by five index card or something like that. Three things that they love, just anything, three things that they love. And once people have written down those three things, then have them go around the room, sort of like speed networking, just sharing their three things with other people and then pair people up. So everybody has a buddy. And when they have found their buddy, then have each person pick one thing from their list of three. And so each pair will have person A and person B will each have their one thing. And then together, they're going to make a new product or service offering, <laughs> you know, imaginary, yeah. that combines the, number. the one thing from person A and the one thing from person B. And together that makes a new product or service offering. And then they're going to, you know, if you're in a group of people, they're going to pitch that to the group. Somehow that is going to make a new product or service offering. I don't know how it's going to be that, but somehow it's going to make something. And it's really quite amazing what happens when you just randomly jam together two completely, you know, random hmm. things and see what you can do with them. So that is a, a, a great way to be innovative. And you can do that on your own by just, you know, putting some ideas in a, in a hmm. bucket and pulling them out and see what you can come up yeah. with. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's great. I'll have to try that activity next time I run a group session. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, what's a favorite resource you use most often? Uh, for... Um, just on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, probably a timer. <laughs> <laughs> I find that um, I work really well with a deadline. So if I if I don't have any kind of a time limitation, I tend to be less productive than if, hmm. I, if I have some kind of a time limit. So if I say, all right, I'm going to give myself 15 minutes to get something done. 
then uh, then I'll get something done. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Timer can be quite valuable. I, I tend to use a timer to limit myself because if I get get into something and really get into the flow, all of a sudden I look. Oh, oh yeah. Three hours later, I was only going to spend an hour on that, and now I've got two hours to catch <laughs> catch up because I've actually planned out the whole day, uh, wall to wall. It's it's good for that too. I use the the um, alarm app on my phone to uh, remind me that I have meetings that I set it for, you know, twenty five minutes after the hour for a, a meeting at thirty minutes after mm. the hour, so that I stop whatever I'm doing to go for my bio break or grab some water or whatever. So that's another yeah. tool that I use very frequently. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Now, what's the best way to keep a client on track? And you've probably described that earlier, but yeah. Um, so for me, it's it's less of keeping them on track. Although I do have automated emails that go out to remind them of you know, remember we've got a session coming up, so make sure you have your you know keeping keeping going with your experiments, hmm. um, but it's less of a on track issue for the kinds of things that I'm doing. Yeah. So it's more kind of reminders and communication in between the the sessions that you have. Hmm. Yeah. Great. All right. And finally, the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves. Oh yes. (laughs) Differentiation. Um, You know, I, I think really it's just, lean into your, your weird, you know, (laughs) and own your, um, the things about you that your weaknesses or what you think of as weaknesses, perhaps, uh, when I pivoted from being an artist and a creativity instigator working with individual creatives and pivoted to starting my consultancy, working with businesses and corporate teams and, and groups, organizations, I had a well-meaning mentor who told me that I was going to be, need to be, you know, very buttoned down and wear a suit and that kind of thing. And I think she really did me a disservice uh, because I spent a number of years really kind of stifling who I am. And it's taken years for me to kind of deprogram <laughs> that and, um, you know, allow myself to be my fully creative artist self. And I, even though I'm not a professional artist anymore, I'm not making my living as an artist. I don't sell my art on commission to people anymore. Um, I, I'm a creative and the more I lean into that, the more people who are, uh, uh, the right fit clients Mm. for me are, are finding me, you know? So it, it, it was, (laughs) it did not work for me to try and show up as a button down corporate (laughs) person because I'm never going to be a button down corporate person. (laughs) So, um, I think, you know, and the, and the people who are, who are, there are people out there who are really craving more 
um, create more creativity and more sort of what I have to offer and, and, uh, you know, just lean into what, what seem, what you think is a weakness is probably actually your Mm. strength. So lean into that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. And I, it's, um, it always amuses me and I, I fell into this trap for many years, you know, trying to be what others expected and, it actually costs so much energy. It's so tiring to oh, so not much. just relax and be yourself. It's easy. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So much energy. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks for getting us through the buzz round and thanks for the conversation so far, Melissa. It's been really wonderful. Now, where can people find out more about you, about the work you do? Um, maybe get a hold of the book the creative sandbox way and listen to those few episodes of the creative sandbox podcast (laughs) well i do have i have about four and a half years of podcast episodes that are still on apple Podcasts, so you can find those there uh the creative sandbox way you can find uh on amazon and uh, you should be able to find it at creative sandboxway.com also you can find me at um my consultancy is creativesandbox.solutions. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Melissa Dinwiddie. And you can find me at melissadinwiddie.com. And I have a free leadership assessment, if anybody is mm. interested, which you can find at bit.ly slash leadership assessment tool. And leadership assessment tool is all capitalized. So capital L, capital A capital T, bit.ly slash leadership assessment tool, capital L, capital A, Excellent. capital T. Okay. And, and we'll have <laughs> we'll have those links in the show notes. So um, if you're driving your car right now, you don't have to remember it. You can come back to the show notes and click straight through. Excellent. Um, Great. So what action would you like our listener, as we wrap it up, what action would you like our listener to take out of today's conversation, Melissa? You know, I think what would be great is if listeners would think about what what feels like play to you and what what really makes you come alive, because really those are going to be the same thing. And how can you do more of that? How can you bring more of that into your day, into your life? And if you're feeling like, I don't, I don't, I don't know, or I don't get enough of that, really think about mm. that and think about how, how you can change that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what I, that's the action I would mm. like you to think, like you to take. I love that. Yeah. And how, and how you can change that. And also sometimes it's as simple as reflecting on, well, how can I make what I'm doing, what I have to be doing for some reason, um, so, for example, if I'm working a job because I've got a huge mortgage that I have to pay off and I need the income, um, how can I turn that job into play? Um, and Absolutely. Know. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Melissa. I've really enjoyed the conversation today. Um, all the best for the future and please do stay in touch. Thank you, Jürgen. This has been so much fun and thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. 
Remember to visit innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel and secure your membership to the exclusive Flywheel Nation community, where you'll enjoy direct access to our incredible podcast guests, engaging meaningful conversations, and participate in connection events designed to elevate your business journey. Don't miss out. Join Flywheel Nation today. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.